going on, family? TGIF. Thank God it's Friday, and welcome to another edition of The Faction Quick Hits. I told you we'd be back for the end of the week, and there's so much to get into. But first, I want to say thank you so much to everyone who has joined us on the socials, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at The Faction Show. We absolutely appreciate you. Big shout, of course, to everyone who has subscribed to our podcast as well. That means the entire world, as you can imagine. And as I often say, for those of you who are in the cross section, may indeed a jewel be added to your crown. Absolutely. And speaking of that, we are going to get to crown jewel today. We are going to talk about quite a bit because as I've been telling you, Yesterday was a major day internationally in the world of wrestling. So we're going to cover all of that. And I've got some other big, big news for you. So stay tuned. With that said, let's just jump right in, right? Yesterday started with the G1 Climax Final in Japan. For New Japan Pro Wrestling, that is the tournament. And they hold a lot of tournaments throughout the year, whether it is World Tag League, whether it's Best of the Super Juniors, whether it's the New Japan Cup. Those are pretty much the four tournaments that they hold. But the one with the greatest importance and the greatest light being shown on it, of course, is the G1 Climax, because that tournament, which runs three to four weeks, gives the winner the opportunity to challenge for the IWGP heavyweight championship or world heavyweight championship in the main event of wrestle kingdom on january 4th with that said coming into this you had a huge match kota abushi who was the a block winner battled kazuchika okada who was the b block winner okada of course came from behind basically and really had a tough tough time in the b block because while he won seven of his eight matches he was fighting jeff cobb who went undefeated which was crazy he beats jeff cobb wins the b block kota abushi started off losing two of his first three matches comes back pulls off an amazing win and now we've got abushi okada two of the biggest stars in new japan pro wrestling remember this okada had won two g1 climaxes Abushi had won two G1 climaxes, including last year. And so it's really, really one of those situations that is amazing. The match itself was fantastic, but in a cruel twist of fate, the match actually was stopped because of injury to Kota Abushi, who attempted a Phoenix Splash. In doing so, Okada avoided the contact. Abushi landed hard on his right arm and had a bit of an injury that was similar to an injury Eddie Guerrero had on SmackDown several years ago when he did a frog splash from the top, landed wrong on his elbow, and it really kind of did some funky things on live TV. Yeah, that's kind of what happened to Abushi. The referee said that he could no longer continue because he had no motion and the G1 climax ends that way, not because of a pinfall or submission, but referee stoppage due to injury. So we don't know who was actually supposed to walk away as the winner, but Okada wins the G1 Climax. With that said, Okada is supposed to get the shot at Wrestle Kingdom, but he has been very vocal about a few things. And one of the things that he's been vocal about is the fact that he really does feel like 
the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship, which is the merger of the IWGP Heavyweight Championship and the IWGP Intercontinental Championship, he feels as though that shouldn't happen. And here's why he feels like it shouldn't happen. He feels like that's strictly an idea that came from Kota Ibushi to merge both of the championships. He just feels like that should not happen. And so what he did was he insisted that his journey grant him recognition as the IWGP heavyweight champion as opposed to battling for the world heavyweight championship at Wrestle Kingdom. So this is a completely different perspective than what tends to happen from the G1 Climax itself. Usually the winner is going to address the opportunity to wrestle at Wrestle Kingdom, but instead Okada says, hey, you should grant me and reinstate the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. So for some people, this is a matter of semantics, right? The heavyweight championship versus the world heavyweight championship. But I want to remind you that one of the most controversial moments of 2021 was the merger of the IWGP Heavyweight Championship and the IWGP Intercontinental Championship. Both of those belts were being held by Kota Ibushi at the time. He went on and made this decision, ironically, after making the decision to merge the two belts, he would lose the championship and he would lose it to, of all people, Will Ospreay. Will Ospreay would then get injured and be forced to forfeit the championship. The championship would then be decided in a match between Shingo Tagaki and Kazuchika Okada. Tagaki would win the title, though Okada never really wanted to acknowledge that particular championship. So we've got a real situation here in New Japan Pro Wrestling as we're trying to determine who is the real world champion. It's kind of amazing to me and uh, I'm intrigued certainly and we'll be keeping you posted as all of these things develop. But the other big piece of news and one would think what could be bigger in the G1 Climax than the winner of the tournament? It's what happened shortly after the intermission. After the intermission, there was expectation of an eight-person tag match to happen. Instead, what happens is Zack Sabre Jr. comes out to the ring, and he wasn't even expected to be at the G1 Climax final since his tag partner was injured. Well, he comes out, and he comes out not exactly in wrestling gear, so many of us thought that he was going to just be addressing the crowd and perhaps talking about World Tag League as he is one half of the tag team champions. Instead, out comes Katsuyori Shibata, and the place goes mad. So if you're unfamiliar with Shibata, and why this was such a significant moment and why the commentators couldn't get themselves together and why the wrestling fans couldn't get themselves together. You have to go back four years. Now, Shibata was one of the major stars of New Japan Pro Wrestling. And when I say major, I mean major. And he ended up having a match uh, against Kazuchika Okada back in 2017 at Sakura Genesis. He lost to Okada in a battle for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. He would then go to the back and collapse. 
He was rushed to a hospital where it was discovered that he had a subdural hematoma, which requires emergency surgery. That injury was similar to the injury that killed mixed martial artist Tim Haig a couple of months later. The cause of the injury was Shibata's repeated use of a headbutt as a signature move, something that he'd been doing regularly since the summer of 2016. This, combined with severe dehydration, caused him to experience some paralysis on the right side of his body. And so as a result, it was believed that Shibata would no longer wrestle again. He would make an appearance, oddly enough, at the G1 Climax in 2017, and he would tearfully just say, I am still alive, that's it. He would go on to be hired by New Japan Pro Wrestling to run the LA Dojo and train superstars, but again, to be cleared to wrestle, nothing that anybody ever thought would happen. This is the equivalent of Daniel Bryan's return when Daniel Bryan, who was a top star, former world champion, had to leave the business because of neck injury and was told he would never wrestle again. It's akin, of course, to when CM Punk returned, when we never thought we'd see CM Punk in a ring, though CM Punk pretty much left on his own power but when you look at like a Daniel Bryan scenario where he was injured he was well beloved in the sport to lose him seemed unfair to lose Shibata feels unfair but then at the end of this five minute exhibition Shibata hops on the mic and he tells people I will be back in this ring in an actual wrestling match so we get the return of Katsuyori Shibata, which again, if you're not watching New Japan Pro Wrestling, all of this may either sound like Greek to you or it's a good education. And I want to implore you, go back and watch New Japan Pro Wrestling. Go ahead and put Shibata's name in YouTube and watch some videos. I'm telling you, this guy was the guy. Strong style, incredible work, just amazing. And so the idea that he's back in New Japan Pro Wrestling is a game changer. Listen, 2021 has given us perhaps one of the best years of pro wrestling moments we've ever had, be it the rise of Bianca Belair, her winning the Royal Rumble, being the first African-American woman to do so. We see her and Sasha Banks main event WrestleMania, the first time two African-American women main event WrestleMania and fight for a championship. We see the return of CM Punk. We see the exodus to AEW, Adam Cole, Daniel Bryan, or Bryan Danielson, right? Things we never, ever expected to see. Malachi Black in AEW. Then you throw in now Shibata returning to New Japan Pro Wrestling. Come on, 2021, you've done right by us. And I guess we deserved it after a 2020 that nearly took the wrestling business from us. This is special. Add Big E winning the WWE Championship, Bobby Lashley winning the WWE Championship. We have had moment after moment after moment. The Forbidden Door in AEW, like, yeah, I know, it's not time for the year in review. That's two months from now. 
But what it is time for is a recognition that 2021 really has been one of the most incredible years of pro wrestling we've ever had. And it's still not over, right? It's still not over. So with that said, when we return, we're going to talk about Crown Jewel, the second big wrestling event that happened internationally yesterday and some more news surrounding that. When we return. Attention wrestling fans, join us for SHW 31, Friday, September 3rd at the Action Building in Ken, Georgia. The final stop before our anniversary show. Still here three. The SHW title will be on the line as David Ali defends against the winner of the 2021 Rumble Jack, Austin Towers. Gunner Miller faces his largest challenge yet as he goes one-on-one with Lethal Poison's hired gun, Cheater. Former members of the Honor Society clash as Jordan Kingsley takes on Cyrus the Destroyer. Two of the Southeast's brightest stars collide as AC Mack faces the heathen, Logan Creed. Plus, the Petty Party returns with a self-proclaimed tag team championship celebration, hosted by Ashton Starr and Zicky Dice. Also in action, technical excellence, Rekka Tahaka, Joe Black, Owen Knight, All-Star Special, and more. Trust us, you don't want to miss this show. Tickets on sale starting at 5 p.m. Doors open at 7. Bell time at 8. SHW, this is our wrestling. All right, guys, yesterday was Crown Jewel, WWE's annual Saudi Arabia pay-per-view. It's the first time we've seen Crown Jewel since 2019 because, of course, in 2020, we had the global pandemic, which really prevented travel. And while there is still a global pandemic happening, they were certainly cleared to be able to travel. And so we get Crown Jewel. And I've got to say, just on paper alone, this is one of the biggest cards that WWE has put on and one of the most important ones as well with a ton of matches that actually had a lot of meaning, including King of the Ring, Queen's Crown, all of those being decided there, several major title matches. So I want to just kind of hit some highlights for you since hopefully you've watched it. If you've not, of course, you can go back on Peacock to check it out. It is worth watching on Peacock. Before I get to the highlights, let me just give you an overall view of Crown Jewel and say this. One of the real criticisms of these Saudi pay-per-views has been the fact that they haven't actually meant much. They've been called a glorified house show. Think about it. It was over in Saudi Arabia that Brock Lesnar defended the WWE Championship against Ricochet. Now, That's not to knock Ricochet, but at that particular point, it just seemed unfathomable that Ricochet would defeat, of all people, Brock Lesnar for the world championship, right? We've seen some less than memorable moments. Now, certainly we saw The Fiend become the universal champion there in Saudi Arabia, but we also saw... Goldberg nearly killed The Undertaker there. We also saw a dream match, DX versus the Brothers of Destruction, turn into just an absolute debacle. We've seen some really bad moments happening at Crown Jewel, and I don't want to put this as the top, but kind of the return of Hulk Hogan to WWE at Crown Jewel And the timing of Crown Jewel happening right after, you know, a U.S. journalist was killed, uh, allegedly, by the Saudi prince. And, oh, yeah, just bad business. Apparently, all that's behind us because WWE is back in Saudi Arabia. It happened yesterday, and it was a really important card. 
One of the big highlights, of course, was the Hell in a Cell match between Edge and Seth Rollins, which they really put it out on the line. And I'm just going to say this now. If that's the last match we see from Edge, it's the right way to go out. Edge did not look old. Edge still has it, which is amazing. But he also does not need to put himself through that anymore. What else is there left for you to accomplish? A 12-time world champion. He's already a Hall of Famer. And you could argue argue that this is the best career presentation post Hall of Fame induction we've ever seen from anyone, male or female. Yes, Goldberg won a couple of titles after being a Hall of Famer, but we've seen Edge much more on our televisions since his return than Goldberg. And speaking of returns, the return of Edge is perhaps another thing you can equate to the return of Shibata in New Japan Pro Wrestling as to why it's so important. All right, with that said, uh, no titles changed hands. RK Bro retained the Raw Tag Team Championships. Big E retained the WWE title. Roman Reigns retained the Universal Championship. Becky Lynch retained the SmackDown Women's Championship. With that said, uh, I want to talk about that triple threat match. But before I do that, let's spend some time talking about the Queen's Crown and the King of the Ring. As the Queen's Crown saw Zelina Vega defeat Dewdrop to win the Queen's Crown Tournament. I will say this. I was not a believer in Zelina Vega. I mean, Zelina Vega beats Tony Storm in the first round of this tournament. Like, what in the world is really going on? I'm okay with her beating Carmella. I think she had an amazing showing against Dewdrop. The match was certainly better than we anticipated. And I think that Zelina Vega really will benefit from being the queen of the ring or winning the queen's crown tournament. So I think there's a lot of opportunity for her. I also think that WWE and Zelina have to be able to do a better job of presenting her as a worthy singles competitor. Remember, when she came back, well, first of all, before she came back, she was pretty much outside of the ring most of the time, with the exception of a couple of matches. And then since she's been back, she had not been winning very many matches, but she's been winning and she has to be able to be presented as a more fearsome competitor because right now I don't see her in a ring against Becky Lynch or Charlotte Flair competing for either of those championships. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with Zelina Vega and this win as the queen of the ring or winning the Queen's Crown Tournament. On the flip side, what a match between Xavier Woods and Finn Balor. I am a fan of both of them. I love what they do. And it was really hard to pick someone to win, though the sentimental favorite clearly was Xavier Woods. After all, Xavier Woods wanted to be king of the ring since a child, more than being perhaps Intercontinental Champion or WWE Champion. And for Finn Balor, did he really need to be king of the ring? I think Finn Balor needs a world title. That's what he needs more than being king of the ring. So this win made sense for Xavier Woods. Xavier Woods showed that he could hang with the best of them. And I'm just gonna throw this out there now because I know there are people that are already talking about it. And by the way, I can just tell you right now that this episode is going to greatly irritate Courtney Beard and maybe even Brandon Clack, but we antagonize each other in this space. That's what we do. And if either of them would like to say something regarding anything I say during this podcast, not only do you know where to find me, but I want you to come on air and do it as well so the people can hear. With that said, 
My assertion is after Xavier Woods has won the King of the Ring tournament, can we now put to bed who the greatest faction of all time is? Nope, it's not the Four Horsemen. I know I just disappointed some people. Nope, it's not the NWO or DX, though they all made big cultural impressions on the business. The most successful faction of all time is the New Day. Fight me, argue me. The New Day has produced two world champions. The New Day has given us the longest tag team title reign in WWE history. Think of a team in WWE, the New Day has held the title longer than them. And now what they are doing as individuals, Big E, Intercontinental Champion, World Champion, winner of Money in the Bank, Kofi Kingston, of course, his amazing WrestleMania moment, multiple-time tag champion, multiple-time Intercontinental Champion, and now Xavier Woods, King of the Ring. What a huge honor. 12 Hall of Famers have held that distinction. And he gets a chance to do something significant with it. Does this move him and does this move the needle perhaps for him to get a shot at the Intercontinental title or to get a shot at the Universal Championship? I think so. I mean, he beat Bobby Lashley while Lashley was still WWE champion. I think we have to pay attention to Xavier Woods and we have to reference the New Day as the greatest faction of all time. Fight me. <laughs> okay, seriously though, I'm excited about the New Day. I'm excited about Xavier Woods. And of course, we get to see him and Kofi tonight on SmackDown praying, of course, that everybody returns from Saudi Arabia safely so that that can happen. All right. Other big news coming out of Crown Jewel. What an amazing defense of the WWE title for Big E. Huge match. Biggest win since becoming champion on the biggest stage he's been on since becoming champion. It's all right with me. And there was a discussion in our group chat yesterday as to whether or not Big E uh, can really draw a house. And I'm just going to say publicly, you're crazy if you don't think Big E can draw a house. Do you think Big E as the WWE champion can't draw? I will tell you this, I think it's only fair, first of all, to give him time to draw. We can't make certain assumptions or assertions just one month into a title reign, right? And again, we're in pretty unique times right now. Times where some folks are just being able to get back to go see an event. Some folks still don't feel comfortable, et cetera, et cetera. But I will say Big E is a draw. And I think Big E versus Drew McIntyre was one of the things I wanted to see on this pay-per-view. There's no doubt about it. Can we talk about that triple threat match between Becky Lynch, Bianca Belair, and Sasha Banks? I will say this. It was amazing. It was incredible. It was fast paced. We got to see the strength of Bianca Belair. We got to see the passion and desire of Sasha Banks. And we got to see the cunning nature of Becky Lynch. It was incredible. And I predicted that perhaps Sasha would win the title to keep the title on SmackDown. But I also mentioned a potential situation where we could have the title swap or we could have a, a moment where, you know, they just visit both brands as the champions of those brands. I don't know. But here's another thought that came to me. You know, Survivor Series is coming up in a few weeks and it's always the space where it's champion versus champion and it's brand versus brand. You know, we could have a scenario where it's a winner take all between Becky and Charlotte 
at Survivor Series. And if that happens, one woman becomes champion of both brands. I don't know. Could be interesting. No telling what WWE will do with it. But I'll say this. That match alone was worth the price of admission. What an incredible match for all three of those competitors. And Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar absolutely delivered. Let me just say this, and I've never said this publicly, but I'll say it. Brock Lesnar understood the assignment. He knew what he was there to do. And what he was there to do was really, really simple. Ensure and acknowledge the continued legacy of the tribal chief, Roman Reigns. What a match, what an opportunity, what a presentation. And surprisingly, I like this version of Brock and I kind of want to see him again, okay? All right, before we go, and I apologize if this episode has gone a little longer than normal, but yesterday was a pretty significant international day. And there's one other big piece of news that's worth talking about, and that is this. PWI has released its PWI 150 edition issue. And here's how that works. So we know about the PWI 500, which looks at the 500 best wrestlers, and it's usually best male wrestlers, though there were a couple of females on that particular episode as well. They have an annual women's 100, which now has become the annual women's 150 because of how many amazing female wrestlers there are out there. Last year's number one was Bailey and Sasha was at number five. I'm going to run through the top 10 for you and then perhaps make the case for number one. And I know already this is going to irritate uh, one Brandon Clack and one Courtney Beard, but they too will yet live. All right. So with that said, I want to run through the top 10 of this list because I do think it's a pretty amazing list. At number 10, oh, and before I do that, one of the things that the folks at Pro Wrestling Illustrated did was they did not, of course, just look at the PWI impact in America, but they looked around the world, which means you have to look at Japan. And if you're a watcher of New Japan Pro Wrestling specifically, you don't see much in the way of women's wrestling there. And that's because there are full-on promotions in Japan that exclusively do women's wrestling. Stardom and several others. So it's pretty amazing there. And some of the names that you will hear are coming from Japan as well. So here's the top 10 in that PWI 150 edition. At number 10, it's the current NXT Women's Champion, Raquel Gonzalez. At number nine, it is Tam Nakano. At number eight, it's the former NXT Women's Champion and the current one half of the NXT Women's Tag Champions, Io Shirai. At number seven, it's Siuri. Number six this year, it's Sasha Banks. And remember, last year she was at number five. This year's number five, you have to go to AEW where you will find Thunder Rosa. Number four, speaking of AEW, is the AEW Women's World Champion, Dr. Britt Baker, DMD. Yeah, you did it with me. Absolutely. Number three is the current Impact Knockouts Women's Champion, and that is Deanna Perrazzo. Number two is an amazing, amazing superstar from Japan. Her name is Utami Hayashishida. And the brand new number one women's wrestler for 2021 is the EST of WWE, 
Bianca Belair, who last year was number 23. Now, it's hard to argue why Bianca Belair is number one. She is the EST of WWE and of pro wrestling. And look at what she's done this year. She's won the Royal Rumble. She main evented WrestleMania. She had an incredible run as women's champion. I mean, who's better than her? Right now, I know I can hear Courtney Beard screaming about what about Charlotte? Charlotte Charlotte is ranked number 15 this year, and I think rightfully so. Remember, Charlotte missed WrestleMania this year, which is a super big deal. And of course, her wars this year were over the Raw Women's Championship, where she defeated Rhea Ripley. No knock to Rhea, I love Rhea. She also defeated Nikki Ash. But she certainly didn't have high-profile matches against your Beckys, your Baileys, your Sashas, or your Biancas. That did not happen during this time period. So she is number 15 on this list. Rhea Ripley is number 12 on this list. Asuka comes in at number 14, and it makes sense as she was Raw Women's Champion for most of the evaluation period, about six months, and she was teaming with Charlotte, of course, to become the Women's Tag Champions. Uh, Hikaru Shida, the former AEW Women's World Champion, comes in at number 13 on this list. Serena Deeb is number 11 on this list other important names shout out to trish adora she was number 44 on the pwi 500 and she is number 18 on this list it's pretty incredible because she was the highest ranking woman on the pwi 500 pretty incredible so incredible things on this women's list and we'll be talking more about it on the socials i want to get your thoughts on bianca belair as the number one women's wrestler in the world according to Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Hit us up on the socials and let us know. Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at The Faction Show. Remember, tonight, you've got SmackDown. You've got a live Rampage. Tomorrow night, you've got a live Dynamite. And you have a big pay-per-view from Impact Wrestling. It's called Bound for Glory, featuring the debut of The Inspiration, formerly known as The Iconics. They'll be getting a tag title shot. And who knows what other surprises are planned for Impact Wrestling's Bound for Glory. It's always a big pay-per-view for them. There's always a surprise or two or five. We'll see what happens. Also on that card, Deanna Perrazzo defends the Impact Women's World Championship against Mickie James. That should be pretty amazing. So a great card there planned for Impact Wrestling. Another big weekend. And of course, we'll be talking about it when we return on Monday. Until next time, family, representing for my good brothers, Courtney Beard, Brandon Clack, and the fourth horseman, John Murray. My name is Gerard Bonner, and this is The Faction. I need my people, here we go.